Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 167. I'm your host, Emily Aries, Bossed Up's founder and CEO. Today's episode is a fun boss tip, very off-the-cuff boss tip, about how to call someone in or out at work. Now, this came in via the suggestion of one of our awesome community members in the Bossed Up Courage community named Jesse, who happens to be a wonderful dear friend of mine, who said this, quote, When do you say something and when do you give someone the benefit of the doubt? A male colleague of mine did something minor but annoying, in no way predatory or dangerous. It's his first offense, in my eyes at least. Should I let it go or should I say something? And I feel like so many of us could relate to this question. And sometimes we're just dumbfounded as to what to do. And by default, we do nothing. And that passive approach, while it's perfectly understandable... I would argue is not the most productive for anybody, including this colleague of yours who might have offended you and have no earthly idea they had and now has no opportunity to be better. So I have dusted off my copy here of Francesca Ramsey's excellent book, which covers this and a whole lot more called Well, That Escalated Quickly to speak to this on today's episode. Because first, before we go any further, I have to explain for folks who might not already be clear on this, what does it mean to call someone in and what does it mean to call someone out? So in one of Francesca's chapters called My Reign as YouTube's Callout Queen, <laughs> she describes the difference between calling in versus calling out in a little guide. So to call out, she describes as a verb to bring attention publicly to another person's bigoted speech, behavior, soundbite, joke, lyric, article, Facebook post, tweet, Instagram story, Snapchat story, role in a television show or film or performance, especially on Saturday Night Live or at the MTV Music Video Award. All of that and more. The goal when calling someone out is to make the bigoted person aware of their mistake and or to raise awareness about a given issue. Now, she describes calling in as to initiate a one-on-one conversation to make another person aware of their own bigoted speech, behavior, etc. All the lists that we mentioned before, right up until the MTV Music Video Awards. Now, the goal when you call someone in is to help an individual learn from their mistake and move forward productively. So if your goal is to productively move forward with the person at fault, my advice is always to call them in as opposed to calling them out. It's just the basic management principle of praising in public, criticizing in private. People don't tend to respond well when they're called out. But sometimes that's not your goal, right? You know, not all of us can have a one-on-one conversation with the celebrities who offend us. So if Kanye West does something offensive, as he is wont to do, 
you can call him out all you want because it's less about improving your relationship with Kanye West and it's more about taking a moral righteous stand, right? And and telling other people where you stand on the issue and starting a dialogue, right? And informing others about this misstep so that it can inform everyone else's behavior. Now, let's think about for a moment why this is important and what some of the risks are. You know, when this comes up at work, it's important to speak up when you see something totally not fair go down, when you see some kind of injustice taking place, either purposefully or not. Intentions don't matter. When you see all the men at the table being asked to weigh in on a topic and none of the women or none of the people of color are being invited to contribute their ideas, that's something problematic that should be addressed. And it is an act of leadership to do something about it. That being said, there's some inherent potential for drama when it comes to calling people in and especially calling people out. I particularly like how Francesca describes it in her book as it relates to social media, since that's the realm in which she became famous and became known for her work on YouTube, particularly her parody video called Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls, which is just one big call out video (laughs) on YouTube. So here's what she has to say, quote, social media has always thrived on the kind of drama fueled by call out campaigns. All you have to do is write a single tweet about why what Katy Perry did was hashtag not okay, and suddenly you've mobilized tens of thousands of people to... to do what, exactly? The sense of deep moral righteousness each party feels in the heat of the moment, furiously typing out clapbacks and subtweets before members of the opposing hashtag team whoever can get their barbs in, gives the whole thing... The illusion of importance when it's almost always infighting or attention-seeking. Oof. It's the ultimate call-out if you really think about it. She is, in fact, calling out call-out culture in her book in a very public call-out kind of way. But she has a point. Honestly, sometimes calling people out is more about attention-seeking or drama creation than calling them in because calling them in creates a pathway for real change. I'll give you an example. When I was a senior in college, I was just coming back from the gym wearing my 2008 Obama campaign T-shirt that had hope on it in some kind of Shep Ferry design, no doubt, when a former presidential candidate, Senator John Edwards was invited to speak at my university, Brown University. Now, this was the first public speech he was giving since his entire campaign imploded because while his wife was navigating a diagnosis of cancer, he was sleeping with his videographer. And that little sex scandal became the end of his presidential campaign. There was a lot of other issues with the campaign, but for anyone who worked on that campaign, I feel for you. As a volunteer, as a student volunteer during the early primary days, even I felt ripped off after having just spent a couple weeks on the campaign up in New Hampshire, spending my Christmas break knocking doors and cutting my teeth in field, talking to voters, making phone calls for a campaign I really believed in because his message at the time about two Americas, about wealth inequality really spoke to me. Fortunately, I wised up and was on Team Obama shortly thereafter. However, this was the first opportunity that anyone had to ask questions of John Edwards that had not been screened. 
So I, of course, popped in the auditorium and saw what this guy had to say about his rebound campaign and was quietly seething as he talked about his future. And I'm like, what future, dude? Like, how do you still have a career? How is this still a thing? Like, this is the kind of scandal that a woman could never come back from. And the first question he got from one of my colleagues, one of my classmates was, so what's next for John Edwards? And I was like, oh, shit, I got to ask a question now because no one's going to talk about it. (laughs) So I get up to the front of the room. This is a packed auditorium with like 300 people in there. And I quote his, this is so mean, like this is a nerdy call out, which is my kind of call out. I quote his former campaign manager, Joe Trippi, whose book I had just finished reading about the revolution will not be televised about campaigns and media. And I said, you know, Joe Trippi writes in the end of his book that sometimes we miss out on great public policy because of the moral failings of politicians themselves. (laughs) And when I said the words moral failings, you could hear an audible gasp of like 300 Ivy League undergraduates and press in the room. And I said to him, what do you have to say to people like me who worked for your campaign because we believed in your message if we no longer believe in you? And damn, did that call out feel good as hell. That was the first time I made national news and it was fun. I think it's the only time I've made national news. And like, here's the thing about calling someone out. It can feel real good in the moment. Do I think it's going to change John Edwards' life or choices? Hell no. But it needed to be said and therefore I said it. So the benefits of calling someone out is sometimes less about that person and more about your moral compass and the need for an alternative viewpoint to be voiced. God forbid everyone leave that room feeling like that was okay. And I, of course, fled the scene after that question because it was so uncomfortable to sit there. And one reporter from the Daily Beast grabbed me on my way out and was like, what's your name? And that's how it became a news story. Anyway, There are benefits to calling someone out. Not so much when it's your boss. And so I want to be perfectly real with you. If you can't lose your job, if you can't afford to blow up your entire job right now, calling someone out who you work with isn't necessarily the best option. Calling them in is a perfectly viable alternative in that it gives you the opportunity to voice your concerns, to do so in a private way that doesn't out anybody, doesn't put anyone on blast. I don't even know if the kids are still saying that, but you know what I mean. And it actually gives them an opportunity to be better. And so when you're calling someone out, this is something I'm really practicing doing, especially as a white woman, because oftentimes the whack racist shit that gets said in this world gets said to other white people. So white people, we need to use our privilege of actually being in the room where people utter whack nonsense that is racist and actually call it out. And that's on us. So I'll give you an example. There's one powerful question I use to call people in all the time. And I should say I'm trying to use all the time because I'm not perfect and it's hard to remember to do this instead of getting defensive. I was at a recent speaking event in a you know room full of senior leader women in a very powerful and very financially powerful part of the country 
where we were talking about assertive communication, why it's hard, how it's privileged, how it's helpful for your career and for your leadership. And I think I was also talking about burnout prevention. And so as I was talking about microaggressions and making sure everyone knew what microaggressions were, which by the way, I'll be doing a podcast on that soon, I described some unfortunate tropes that women run into. It's not just being a woman in a male-dominated world that's hard. You know, if you're an assertive white woman, you can get away with just being called a bitch. But if you're an assertive woman of color, like a black woman might run into the angry black woman trope. Or if you're Latina, you might run into the spicy Latina trope. And (laughs) that apparently was enough to ruffle the feathers of a few people in the audience. And this is like a slightly older than Bossed Up's average listener audience. But one of these women who is a self-proclaimed progressive from Vermont, I would bet $100 she was a Bernie supporter. She came up to me afterwards and she said, you can't, you can't say that. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, you can't say those words. She kind of whispered, angry black woman. You can't say that. I was dumbfounded. She was like, you should just say stereotypes and we'll all know what you mean. So she didn't want to talk about race. She was here for talking about gender, but she didn't want me to talk that explicitly about race. So what do you do in that instance? So I recognized it for what it was, which was some kind of emotional response that she had to very real shit that women of color have to deal with every day. And instead of just laughing it off or placating her or, God forbid, giving her the impression that I agreed with her or defending myself and saying, here's why I can say that and why I'm great. I said to her, why do you feel that way? And that is the question I always try to remember to come back to when people say offensive, terrible, even the seemingly innocuous stuff, but also the terrible stuff. Instead of going, wow, that was racist as fuck, you know, instead of saying, wow, that was totally whack, which just shuts them down and calls them out and makes the end of the conversation very near. If I can remember to take a breath and say, why do you feel that way? That opened up a treasure trove of more information, and it was a more productive conversation. She then alluded to, well, everybody has something in their history, in their experience that makes them feel like left out. And so she she was uncomfortable with me talking specifically about the challenges black women face or specifically about the challenges that Latino women face or, or so explicitly. And because everyone has something. That makes them feel that way. And I'm like, yeah, that's the all lives matter argument. Like, it's okay to talk about black lives for a second. It's okay to talk about how these microaggressions manifest for one set of the population for a second. That doesn't mean the rest of us are not important. And she was like, no, 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 no. And then she proceeded to tell me about her two black friends who were evidence of her tolerance And I was like, wow. (laughs) Then then I had a moment that was like, I don't know how productive this conversation was going to be. But at the very least, we were having a conversation. And I don't know if minds were changed in that moment, but there is an inherent risk with saying to someone who's a paying customer of yours, essentially, because this person was part of an association that paid me to come talk to their group. And telling them you really fundamentally disagree with their critique, there's risk involved there. Just like there's risk involved in calling in your coworkers or your boss or the people who report to you 
about what they did or what they said that didn't feel right. But if we can lead with curiosity, I think it was actually Francesca herself who was speaking on a panel about this when someone asked, like, how do you respond? And she said, you know, if someone makes a joke that I don't think is funny, that's off color, that's racist, that's misogynistic, that's homophobic, that's transphobic, whatever. She says, I don't get it. How is that funny? Can you explain the joke to me? And she basically uses extreme curiosity to try to get them to analyze for just a second and break down and unpack for just a moment what the hell they just said. And so I I argue that we should all bring that curiosity and try to stay curious, not furious when someone says something offensive and be willing to walk through it with them and say, well, what makes you so uncomfortable about this specific thing? What makes you feel that way? Help me understand where you're coming from, because I really disagree. And that is okay to be assertive in that moment. Now, is it guaranteed to work every time? Obviously not. I think my recent example reminded me of how fruitless it can be sometimes. But do you feel like you've done your all? Yeah. Do you feel like you can go home knowing I didn't just sit idly by and be silently complicit with injustice unfolding before me? Yeah. And I think those are the moments and the conversations that we need to have, especially if you have white privilege on your side, to start calling out and calling in the people around us when we hear something that just doesn't seem right, that doesn't sit well with us. And who knows, it might be the beginning of a conversation that's illuminating and informative for everybody. So thank you to Jesse for uh, calling in, I want to say, but not really, for writing in with this question that inspired today's boss tip. I, as always, am curious to hear what you think about today's podcast. I encourage you to share it with those who are around you and might need a little reminder of how to do this. I was recently on Instagram ranting about the new Netflix special that Chelsea Handler came out with which is all about white privilege that touched upon this a little bit. But I got frustrated that maybe conversations, which is her sort of call to action, maybe conversations aren't enough. Maybe we should all be doing more. And I'm doing a lot of thinking on that right now. And I'll continue to share with y'all as I make progress on what it looks like to be more of a anti-racist in our everyday work. But these are the kinds of powerful conversations I think she was alluding to. I think we can actually dismantle all kinds of systems of injustice by being willing to have uncomfortable conversations and call people out and call people in. Just know what you're risking when you do that. You know, you're risking some ruffled feathers, some broken relationships, some damaged egos, but also know what you're risking by staying silent, by staying complicit. As a reminder, I am out of office until October 21st on my honeymoon right now, but just thought I'd slip this one in for you. <laughs> no big deal. Just a little a little topic to, for y'all to chew on while I'm away. I hope you enjoy. I'll be on the gram probably, so hit me there. But thank you as always for listening and for sharing this podcast when you find it instructive and powerful and impactful. And uh, let's continue to keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. Bye.